Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. You may know Brandon is gone this week. We said it on the last one, not here. We're supposed to have homie Mark Rails fill in, didn't work out. So I had to go to the bullpen, had to call in the big gun. Sam Bradshaw. Sam, welcome to the podcast, man. Say hello to the people. Let's go, me. What's up, everybody? How we doing, y'all? What's up, Jeremy? What's up? Thank you for uh, coming on, man. So, course, uh, man. you know, just wanted to yeah get down a little banter back and forth. I did want to plug, you know, me and Sam and Brandon actually have another podcast called How Deep Does the Rabbit Hole Go? So maybe that'll be our, let's use that as a sponsor for this podcast where we, uh, we, we dive deep on some, some interesting issues, uh, conspiracy theories, if you will. It's pretty, pretty entertaining. So you should check that out. But Sam, yeah, how you doing, man? I know you're uh, you're you're battling through some injuries too. Got the got a little sick this week, and uh, you're still you're pulling through for me, man. I appreciate it. Nah, no problem, brother. Here for you always, man. Right on, right on. We uh, yeah, man. Before we get to the guest, I did uh, I found a pretty crazy crazy study uh, that's starting um, out of Kyo University in Japan. It's uh two doctors, Professor Masaya Nakamura and Professor Hideyuki Okano. I'm pretty sure I got those as close to close as I can. Uh, anyway, they're, they're starting a year-long study and they're going to be implanting induced pluripotent stem cells or IPS cells into patients with spinal cord injuries. And yeah, these IPS cells, Sam, they're going to be harvesting them from a not from the person themselves, but from there's going to get like 2 million of these cells to inject into people's, uh, uh, or I guess uh, they're going to develop them into nerve cells after they take them out of people who donate. And uh, then they'll transplant them once they have uh, changed them into nerve cells somehow. I'm not positive about that, but uh, they're going to, they're going to start implanting them into people who recently suffered a spinal cord injury. So not really gonna gonna help me with a chronic injury at least not at this point but um yeah they're they're getting started on that and i guess um they started- and it looks like just from looking at it right the transplants are getting performed on patients 18 and older whose sensory motor functions are completely paralyzed in the subacute stage meaning within two to four weeks since the spinal cord injury right right exactly and so yeah they uh with well uh I guess the the study was actually approved by the Japanese government in February of 2019, and they uh, did a few experiments on small monkey species. Uh-huh. Uh, had really good results. Um, some of the, you know, I guess a good portion of these monkeys were able to regain uh, limb functions, which is which is huge, man. Wild. Um, and then now, were- now this is all in subacute stages, like injuries in monkeys as well. Yeah, so I, I believe okay. they, they they didn't really specify, but I'm assuming if they're that's what they're going to do with with human patients, that they probably were doing the same with the monkeys. Um, Wild. Yeah, and then everything got they, they were basically ready to start when uh, COVID shut everything down. You know, Japan's been hit crazy bad with that. So uh, yeah, it's pretty nuts, man. So it sounds like they've already started accepting patients for this yeah as of uh june 28 they accepted their first patient and they're accepting three more uh after that yep i was just gonna say that yeah it's uh it's look i mean you know it's great i feel like me and brandon have talked about this a few times on the podcast as well 
And it's like everything got shut down with spinal cord injury research and stuff. And, and these, these studies like this um, during COVID, because I mean, everybody was all medical research almost got halted. That wasn't COVID related. True. Right. Like everything ground to a halt so that folks could focus on treatments for COVID-19 and its variants. Right. Uh, So yeah, it's really good to see that kind of now that things have been lifted essentially right that clinical trials are starting back up right uh, uh clinical panels are starting back up and that and that clinical research is getting back to business yeah huge news huge yeah. news yeah so it's good man i think it's and you know along with the, you know the elon musk and Neuralink stuff like i think things are moving moving quickly man for everybody dealing with spinal cord injuries out there so um yeah it's a it's an exciting study for sure but yeah, Sam, so this week, man, I wanted to, wanted to transition. We're not going to keep you too long because I know you're, you're playing injured over here for me, um, but I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're going to get to my guy. Red, his name is Redzuan Razak, um, uh-huh. and he uh, suffered a spinal cord injury, um, I believe, in 2004. Uh, he is a Marine Corps veteran, a wheelchair athlete, a disability advocate. Um, he started... Uh, in the realty business so brandon would have a lot in common with him uh yeah and then he's also i don't know if it's the chapter or um he's the southern or south florida chapter of the paralyzed veterans of america he's the head of that um he's doing a lot of good work work for the you know for disabled veterans especially which is you know hats off to to him for sure for just uh going out of his way to do that incredible yeah, yeah, he's doing doing great stuff. He's got an incredible story. I mean, he's from, um, so yeah, Sam, he's actually from Malaysia. Okay. And uh, his, his mother was uh, American, and he lived with his father in Malaysia. Didn't even actually um, realize he had U.S. citizenship until he went to apply for a student visa to study in the United States. And then realized he didn't need it? Yeah, at age 16, they were like, oh, you love to you. see it. You yeah, love to see it. We can't give you a visa because uh, you're already an American citizen, my friend. So come my on. My guy, in. come home. Yeah. So uh, they, just an incredible story, man, from coming coming from Malaysia at a young age and, um, you know, being a Marine. You know, he had gone on two tours um, in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. I'm not sure if it was Iraq or Afghanistan, but two tours overseas in, in the mid uh, or early 2000s. And, uh, you know, just a hero, bro. So um yeah well without you know without further ado sam let's get to this interview and we will talk to you guys on the other side sounds good this week on the live to walk again podcast we are very excited to visit with red zuan razak he is a marine corps veteran a wheelchair athlete a disability advocate and a realtor uh, Red Zuan, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. I, I appreciate you coming on with me. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. No, I appreciate it, man. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know your story already, can you kind of give us a, a thumbnail sketch of, of how you were injured and, and kind of when that happened? Um, I got injured in 2004. Uh, at the end of 2004, I was driving back to base after Liberty to 29 Palms where I was stationed at. Um, you know, I, I, we usually travel in buddy systems, like with a buddy pair. 
So my buddy, um, a friend of mine, he caught rheumatic fever and had to be hospitalized. So I had to drive his Jeep back. I was ordered to drive his Jeep back to base um, in order to, um, because they needed me to teach some classes to some some new uh, new boots, some new recruits who just came in from boot camp and uh, school of infantry, just to get them up to speed because we're supposed to redeploy um, within the next couple of months. Um, so you were actually, uh, were, so you were on military, you were, you were in the military when you got injured, but you were actually like doing, um, you know, on military time when you got injured driving, driving that, since you were ordered to drive that Jeep back to the base? Yes. Uh, so, so technically I'm still, you know, uh, when you're in the military, you're pretty much on duty 24 hours a day, even when you're off, because you're pretty much on call just in case. And stuff like that. Um, we funny thing that funny thing that I've learned when I was in the military. We're not paid by by the hour, you know, because if we were paid by the hour, it'd be like I think something ridiculous, like thirty six cents to the hour. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't get paid too much. Uh, you know, I I think the highest I ever got paid after being in for a while was about seventeen hundred a month. I think that was about it. Unless we were deployed, because then you get extra pay for that. Right. Um, and, and so, so you you flipped in this in this jeep and uh, coming back from from Nevada to heading to Twenty Nine Palms. Is that is that right? Yeah, I was traveling down south on Amboy Road and uh, caught some sand. It's not it's not a very well traveled road. Um, the jeep started you know started skidding a little bit um it's a little bit it's jacked up i've driven in ice before but um i just barely corrected the wheel and the vehicle went perpendicular up to like a 95 well 90 degree angle and just flipped and i blacked out when when i was at the peak of that angle i believe and um next thing i know it i was on on the road bleeding uh on somebody's lap luckily because that's not a very well-traveled road um the guy was a marine the guy's a marine as well and uh, he he's in a tank battalion and then but he's a private first class and i told him to just get away from me <laughs> well, i mean i, I was kind of delirious and you know still have that military mentality in front of in my head uh but i was lucky that he was there to my understanding he actually got a medal for that oh wow so what what's the next thing um were you airlifted then out of there and what and where to yeah so i was i was airlifted out of there um uh, on i i was definitely airlifted out of there uh i believe the net yeah i kind of woke up for a little bit i saw i remembered them carrying me on a stretcher onto a helicopter uh, I guess it took them about 45 minutes to get there and another 45 minutes to get back. And they took me to a uh, university medical center in Las Vegas. Um, you know, so they kind of treated me there for about two weeks. And then after that, they put me in the back of a van and drove me down to San Diego uh, because there's a VA spinal cord unit in, in the VA medical center in San Diego. And that's where pretty much where I, I received the rest of my care. Uh, once I'm stabilized, I was stabilized and my, my rehab. 
Okay, and how long um, did you, so how, I guess how long after the incident were you able to, I guess, get back to, you know, whatever, like as normal of a life as you could? Obviously you're in the military, so your whole life probably completely changed, but um, what was that process like? I mean, did they discharge you from the military at that point? Uh, it took them a while to discharge me. Uh, I think it was about another five to six months. So they, they moved my duty station to Miramar, uh, the air station over there. Um, you know, yeah. So, so they moved me to Miramar. I was a little, I was kind of bummed out that, you know, I, I didn't get to go on, on a third deployment with my buddies or my brothers, I, I should say, um, you know, like when, when I first got hurt, like I was so pumped up on morphine. I, I figured that, um, you know, at one point I woke up and I could have sworn I heard the doctor said I could walk again. So I asked, I asked the, um, yeah, so, so I asked the, the doc once I'm able to talk. I was like, hey, hey doc, uh, can I hump a pack by January? Because I was supposed to redeploy. He's like, well, you got a 1% chance of ever walking again. I was like, well, that's bullcrap. You better fix me because I'm supposed to redeploy. Obviously, that didn't happen. That's probably the hardest thing that's happened to me. Um, but I think I went off on a tangent there. What, what was your initial question? Uh, I was just wondering, like, how long after they they discharged you? And yeah, no, it's all that's good. That's a um, that's really yeah interesting. Yeah, because I know I remember having crazy vivid dreams too, thinking different things when I was uh, first injured. Um, you know, what, uh, what was it like, I guess, so you mentioned you were about to go on your third deployment, and you'd already been overseas a couple of times. Um, what, what was it like kind of emotionally? Do you, I mean, because, you know, you're a hardened Marine, so you're probably not supposed to really show emotion or, or too much or anything like that. So what, I mean, what, how was it dealing with that internally, you know, a new reality? Um. Still unsure about it. I think most of my efforts were um, placed, well, initially I was on pain medication all the time. So I, I couldn't even, you know, uh, just because like, as soon as I got down to San Diego, then, you know, I had a staph infection and they had to reopen me three weeks later uh, to scrub, scrub my hardware down with iodine. Uh, I remember the nurses throwing ice packs on me just to keep my temperature down before the surgery. Um, so I was on pain medication for, I guess about a month, month and a half, I guess. So I didn't really have much to think about that. I was just in and out most of the time, um, you know, pressing on that button whenever I can. Um, but I, I guess most of it is guilt that I, you know, I'm not going to be able to be there for my buddies and I don't know if they're going to come back. Um, so like I wasn't really thinking about myself too much, although, yeah, I, I did. I mean, that, that would be completely a big lie, but uh, saying that I didn't think about myself at all, but uh, I did think about myself. But at the time I was thinking more about what's going on with them and how I couldn't be there. I guess that's kind of thinking about myself, but my current situation too is kind of like I was unsure of what type of future I'm going to, I'm going to see. Right. And so how long after your, your accident were you supposed to deploy? Uh, 
four months. Okay, so not not too long at all. And so you said that they transfer you to to Miramar. What um, were so were they having you come into work every day, or were you just kind of rehabbing still at that point? Uh. Yeah, so I was rehabbing. So uh, once I got discharged from the hospital, but that wasn't until I wasn't in Miramar until three months after injury. Oh. Um, so I was I was staying in the hospital for for about three months, just trying to do whatever I can to get out of the hospital. Uh, so I was doing you know my my PT and all that other stuff. Um, initially, they had me sitting in a power chair, and I was like, no, get me out of this thing as soon as I can. Um, and luckily I had some pretty, pretty good PTs and, and OTs like helping me out. Um, you know, they were pretty hard on me too. <laughs> they called me a whip at one point. I was just like, all right, I'll show you. Uh, so, you know, and then they introduced the slide board. I'm like, nope, not using that. You know, I, I wasn't strong enough. I mean, like I, I lost, I went from about, uh, I guess 185 yeah, 100, 185 pounds to about 115 pounds within three weeks. So, uh, I mean, I, I had to repeat quite a bit. Um, so, so, you know, slowly regaining my strength, but, um, you know, just trying to learn all the wheelchair skills possible. Um, yeah, I think by within the first year, I've, I've learned a lot of useful wheelchair skills just because I was trying to be as independent as possible. Um, you know, I, I was already doing floor to chair transfers, and, uh, you know, I'm, wow. I'm transferring in and out of, uh, well, and I was trying to get my, my trying to get back to driving as well as soon as I could. Uh, so like also like, you know, I kept my car, it was a Honda Accord. Um, so I was doing, you know, wheelchair to, car transfer and moving my chair into the car so I've, I've never really uh been in a van to be honest but before i got my license i was riding the bus often um, okay. about it uh so you know uh, before we get to your military service i i read an article about you i forget what the publication was but um it talked about how you actually were uh grew up in malaysia and is and uh and talk about how you kind of found out that you were actually a u.s citizen uh yeah so my mom's american and i guess my dad was a foreign exchange student of sorts um and uh he, he was going to school in oregon um and then that's where they met they got married eventually and moved to malaysia and then they got divorced and I got stuck there with because just because of the culture um, and my mom came back to America. Um, so I, I never really got to meet my mom until I was about 16. Uh, but when, you know, when I was 16, they were going to send me to school in, in America. And uh, I went to the American embassy um, in, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, I went in there and you know, applied for a student visa. And then the, uh, I guess the ambassador came out and pretty much told me like, I can't, I'm sorry, but I can't give you a visa. So I was like, what, why not? And then he's like, cause you're a citizen. Here's your passport and here's your birth certificate. So that's the first time I've ever found out 
that I was an American citizen, to be honest. Wow. You know, and I had read also in that same article that you before that wanted to serve in the military one way or another. So kind of how did that influence your your military service? Like, did you come to the U.S. then and study study here once you were able to, to do so? Yeah, so, so when I was 16, I moved here. I went to high school here. It was a huge culture shock. It was totally different. I mean, like, it was totally different than what I was used to. Uh, well, when I, when I was young, I mean, like, I grew up watching Rambo. <laughs> so, so when I found out I was, I was American, I was like, holy shit. So I guess, sorry, can I? Chris yeah, you can cut. Yeah, no worries, man. Go. <laughs> All right. So Speak I was like. It. I was like, holy crap. I was like, I guess I, I get to be, I could try to be Rambo one day. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's kind of a joke, but like once, once I came here and when I was 16, um, I was happy, I, I, you know, I was, I was happy to assimilate and stuff like that. My mom's very um, patriotic and stuff like that. Um, so I, I learned a lot about, you know, the country, uh, you know, our values as a people, our history and stuff like that. Um, that's probably why when, you know, when I was in college, I, you know, I did a lot of uh, history classes and political science just because like I, I truly do believe in, in the liberties and, and the freedoms that this country, I mean, provides for us, makes us, makes us a great country. Yeah, absolutely. So how, when did you, so you said you went to college first. So when did you um, actually join the Marines and, and how long I, were you in? I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, I, I actually went to college after injury. Okay. Okay. So what were you, did you just join like right when you were 18 then? Um, so I was a little bit of a troublemaker. So I almost didn't graduate high school. Uh -huh. So, uh, yeah, so I graduated 18 and a half-ish. So, like, I, I went to the recruiter after 9-11 and, um, and then went to boot camp uh, in, February, uh, in January uh, 2002. So, so I was, you know, I was, like, six months shy of, well, no, I was a couple months shy of, of uh, turning 19. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, so what and what did what was your position in the military? What did you do? Um, I was an infantryman. Um, first time around, I, I was, uh, you know, I was still pretty young. I was, uh, you know, I just picked up Lance Corporal. And, and we just crossed the border. We were just, yeah. And that was in 2002 when we, well, no, 2003, sorry. It was 2003 when we uh, crossed the border from, from um, Kuwait to Iraq the first time. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was put as the point man for, for the platoon. Oh, wow. Wow, and so you you were deployed twice at at some point before your injury. Um, how long had you been home? I guess since your previous deployment, um, when you were getting ready to go back, and when you were injured. 
Uh, I was back actually about two months. Oh, wow. They were sending you right back then, huh? Yep. Wow. Yeah. So we were doing six month deployments. So we go six months, come back six months. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I wanted to turn to some adaptive sports questions I had for you. So, you know, how long after your accident were you able to, I know you said you were, you were pretty independent from, from the get go. It was like one of your, your main goals. Um, you know, when did you find out about adaptive sports and start, uh, participating? Uh, pretty much right away. Uh, like I said, I, I was, I guess I was kind of blessed to be, to do my rehab at the San Diego VA Medical Center at the spinal cord injury unit there. Um, you know, as once I got discharged, I keep going in for rehab and working out every day. I was trying to get my strength back. I was trying to get back to where I was. And I still haven't gotten anywhere close to 185. <laughs> but, but, uh, well, just because I, you know, I have no legs. I keep telling people I skip leg days. I don't even go to the gym anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't go to the gym anymore because my coach tells me not to. I used to work out like five days a week. Um, but uh, so, yeah, pretty much right away, I had a rec therapist who was very, was very involved in, um, in road racing. So that was the first first uh sport that i i i did uh she she's also very involved in quad rugby uh she she was she's one of the officials actually um but but she motivated me and then i started doing you know i started training up for 5k and then after i did a 5k i did half marathons and and, and uh, you know i was i was working my way up towards doing triathlon so I, I kind of did a couple halves every, you know, every time we had, um, because we had a lot in, in, in San Diego, we had a lot of, you know, racing events and stuff like that. We had the challenge athlete foundation, try half try, uh, and stuff like that. So I, I did a couple of relays as well, the running leg and, uh, for, for that. And then there's the super frog down in Coronado, which is the Navy seal um half triathlon uh which which was kind of cool you get to run around with a bunch of seals that's Uh, that's very cool uh what so how many different sports have you participated in i know you see mentioned uh racing and uh the quad rugby have you done you know basketball no i didn't do quad rugby okay (laughs) i'm a para uh oh gotcha gotcha right sorry Although I had like, well, when I first was rehabbing, like, I guess my right bicep was not working. Uh, I snapped my, my uh, scapula and I guess it broke one of the nerves that was responsible for your bicep. So I kept telling my right therapist, I'm like, look, I don't have any bicep. Can I play quad rugby? She's like, no, (laughs) because, you know, murder ball just came out and I was like, wow, that looks pretty awesome. And I was like, I want to play. Uh, so yeah, I didn't play quad rugby. So I, I did, uh, road racing, um, swimming, cycling, uh, and, uh, and then I kind of stopped with everything when I went to college, I was trying to, uh, concentrate on school for about 
So I did that for about four years, concentrated on school. Uh, did pretty well despite my history in high, in high school. Um, and then once I got out of school, I decided to go back to, um, you know, I, I kind of missed team sports and I haven't played any team sports. So I played wheelchair basketball for a little bit. Never played basketball in my life, mind you. And, and I don't, you know, I don't even know the rules. <laughs> uh-huh. but, but I ended up uh, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, I'm not much of a shooter, but I, I played a lot of defense and stuff like that. They put me in for, for defense and picking and stuff. Um, so I played with the Miami Heat Wheels for, for a little bit. We won the national championship for Division Three, and then moved up. Um, and then, you know, uh, all of a sudden, teammates start, stopped showing up to practice. So I just, you know, I just kind of, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I was working as well. And then, um, and and I show up to practice, it's just me and another person after we won the national championship. And I was like, I could do this at home. And then that just kind of turned me off from, from team sports. I'm like, look, I got to depend on other people to be there to, to practice and stuff like that. So I went back to individual sports, um, which is, which is, oh, well, now I'm concentrating on cycling. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot of cycling now. Very cool. So are you, is there um, a lot of cycling events near you that you're able to, I mean, obviously probably not with COVID, but now that things are starting to open back up, are you going to be able to start competing again here soon? Yeah, I, I did. I, I, I did two, two, um, two races already this year. I have a really good coach. Uh, he's, he's not letting me, like I said, he's not letting me hit the gym at all. It's all just cycling. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting smaller and skinnier. <laughs> more, more, but, uh, more aerodynamic or something. I, I don't know. Maybe less weight, the better. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm concentrating on cycling right now. I did two race and uh, did pretty good on uh, the last race. It was the Paris cycling racing event um, up in Huntsville, Alabama. I mean, I, I didn't finish last. I, I have a long ways to go, mind you, and because the person in my class, he's like the second fastest guy in the world oh, who was wow. that race. He's in the Paralympics this year. Um, that's out of all the classes. Uh, and, and um, you know, I, I have a lot more to work to get to where he's at. But I did make the, the VA uh, national standard as far as um, time goes with the time trial so that that was a major accomplishment on my part after only like you know really getting into sight back in a cycling for a year i mean last year was my full full year of training really uh, wow, congratulations on that that's 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 great yeah thanks yeah so you know and and kind of switching gears a little bit i wanted to to talk about your um the real estate uh, you being a realtor I thought that was uh, that was very cool when did that start what you know what when did you get involved uh, how's it going all that sort of thing started about I guess three years ago I got my real estate license um, and then yeah I, I got my real estate license about three years ago I started with I actually started um, what do you call it I started 
investing in real estate before I became a realtor. Uh, mm. But then eventually I couldn't find a good realtor that to work with. And I was like, well, you know, why don't I just become one? And once I became one, I was like, well, why don't I do a better service for, for other people? Uh, so, so I tried my best. I can't make everybody have, happy, but I, I did try. But when, when I did try, of course, you have that lingering thought in your head, like, well, I'm in a wheelchair. What if I have to show a house that I can't get into or something like that? You know, no, so that was going to be my first question for you about it. So, yeah, talk, talk about that. Right. So if it's a single story uh, with just a one step or something like that, I, I could definitely try to muscle my way in. Um, but if there's like, you know, a flight of stairs or something like that, and I'm, I'm just like, oh, crap. This is, you know, this is going to be tough and what, what are they going to think, and, you know, because especially when you're working with a buyer and they're just like, well, you know, this guy can't really perform. Uh, you, you will have those kind of people, but you would be surprised how much other most people like kind of understand. Um, yeah, understand the situation. I actually had one client like pull me up this a couple of steps just to get into the, the house. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I was like, well, I can't get in, you know, you guys go ahead and take a look inside because you really don't need to be in, in the property. Um, you just answer their questions when they come out and stuff like that. Most people are understanding, but some aren't. I actually tried to show this one house and, and the owner was like, yeah, can you please not come in because I don't want you rolling on my carpet. <laughs> Man. <laughs> oh, so, you know. <laughs> you see you see different types of people you know that's just some people just are insensitive to it and others are you know yeah yeah and so uh Razak, where are you are you still in southern california or are you uh I'm, I'm now in florida i'm in miami florida okay how's the uh how's the real estate market in miami doing these days really crazy i bet market and i feel bad for for some of my buyers especially the veteran buyers because you know we can't really take advantage of our our uh, our va benefits as far as the va loan goes it's 100 percent financing but you you know they could afford it but we can't win any bids oh most of them can't win any bids unless they pay out of pocket like over the appraised value or something like that just because we have a lot of people coming down from up north and um, they're, you know, paying cash or they're like waiving the praise value and just paying anything out of pocket just to win the, the bid. So it's been tough for veterans, but, you know, it's it's been good for sellers. Yeah. Yeah. How did uh, how did COVID affect your your business? I know, I guess, Florida, you guys didn't really shut down a whole lot compared to the, the rest of the country, but. How were things down there? You were able to avoid COVID, I hope, and and all that. Um, how did yeah. you your business, though? Yeah, I mean, well, believe it or not, last year was my busiest year. Um, this year, it's kind of slowed down a little bit because I work with a lot of veteran buyers, like I said, you know, and then with the lower, lower inventory, it's just been tough on veterans. So I just kind of had to... Uh, take a step back and, and stop taking as much clients because I, I can't bear to keep telling them like, look, you know, 
you're expecting this, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not going to happen the way, you know, it's supposed to. Right. More or less. Yeah. Well, Razak, you know, one, just one last question, you know, what, what is, are your kind of your future goals here, like moving forward, like immediately and, and maybe a little further down the road as far as like real estate, racing, all that sort of stuff. Like what, what's, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to, so as far as real estate, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going for my broker's license this, this year. So I'm going to be a, a real estate broker. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to start my own brokerage. I'm going to stay with my brokerage. Uh, just, you know, I just want to get my broker's license. Um, it seems a little bit more legit. Uh, cycling, I want to keep better, getting better. You know, uh, I want a podium, maybe. I'm going to go on another race here coming up um, this year sometime. Uh, with, cool, and then with the Florida chapter of the Paralyzed Veterans of America, I'm trying to uh, get more programs for our members and stuff like that, you know, um, encourage more like outdoor stuff like scuba diving and stuff like that, disabled scuba diving for, for our members. Um, this, you know, modernize our, our approach to things. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and keep encouraging the, the organization or, or, well, the chapter to, to keep uh, funding research towards uh, spinal cord injury, um, cure for, for spinal cord injury and, uh, and, and for like, you know, newer equipments and stuff like that, for modernizing the wheelchairs, our, our sports equipment and stuff like that. Um, that funny thing is like someone once told me the Paralyzed Veterans of America is, is, is the only organization that is trying to put themselves out of business. <laughs> because once we find a cure to paralysis, <laughs> we're no longer needed. Yeah, well, that's noble work for sure. I'm glad you're glad you're working with them. Talk about, I guess, real quick. I know I said that was the last question, but um, when did you start working with the Paralyzed Veterans of America? Well, when I was working with them, I've been a member since when I first got hurt. I guess what uh, they came, like I had a service officer come up to me um, while I was on bedside. I was still in the military. I thought they were part of the VA initially. And uh, said like, yeah, you want me to do your benefits for you? I'm like, yeah, sure. It's like, sign here. So I was like, yes, sir. So I, I thought I was just like, I just have to sign. Um, so, I mean, they did such a good job that I, I didn't get involved at all, actually. I was like, well, you guys got this and stuff like that. You know, they pretty much took care of me. You know, we did a lot of outings. We have the National Veterans Wheelchair Games, which is the largest um, annual wheelchair sporting event in the world. Uh, every, every year uh, last year was the first year in, in I guess 20, 20 years plus that we ever had it stopped for whatever reason um, but you know they had have a lot of programs and stuff like that so and then eventually my a buddy of mine got me involved he kind of mission creep he's like hey do you want to do this for the for the organization I'm like yeah sure you want to do that for the organization? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So uh, one of the things that he did, we made a documentary on it. I think it's on YouTube. Um, it's it's uh, 
called Hero Dive. It's with Life Waters, um, where we had a, because part of our membership is uh, Lou Gehrig's, um, veterans with Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, and on his bucket list was to go scuba diving with his family before, you know, before anything, before it progresses to get worse. It was an honor to be on there with him. Um, so got to meet him and his family. We went down to the Florida Keys, uh, went on a scuba trip and stuff. So we went scuba diving. So just four veterans who, well, I guess three of, two of us knew each other. And then the other two, we didn't really know. I, I didn't know him. Um, and a veteran with ALS. And it just kind of shows like how, you know, being a veteran, we kind of stick together. Uh, even though we don't know each other, we're doing something for, for another veteran. Um, so that was that was pretty, pretty awesome. So after that, he kind of starts talking. He's like, well, why don't you get involved with your chapter? So I'm like, okay. So I ran for the board for the chapter and, and uh, you know, I got into the chapter. This was about three, yeah, also about three to four years ago. Um, so I, you know, as soon as I got in the chapter, the president of the chapter said, hey, so what'd you go? He found out I went to college. He's like, what did you go to school for? I was like, advocacy. I mean, I mean, not advocacy. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, political science. So he's like, so he put me in charge of advocacy. Um, so our, our advocacy wing, uh, you know, each chapter sends their advocacy director and some members up to DC once a year to lobby for, not lobby, to push for certain laws that will benefit, um, you know, the lives of veterans and people with disabilities. So I've been doing that for the past three years. And then just, uh, I guess, just last year, um, they kind of pushed me even further into uh, becoming the national director. So I'm also the, you know, uh, the representative for my chapter for the national organization and, you know, uh, the national paralyzed PVA organization. So I, I've been serving as to that extent. I kind of feel like I, I get to help out a little bit better for the national organization by, you know, giving my two cents into how I think the organization should proceed and how we could benefit the lives of our veterans and, you know, American bodies. That's fan. That's really cool, man. Um, I, yeah, I salute your service in that and, and your military service, obviously. Um, you know, what, what was the name of that movie? One more time. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link for the paralyzed veterans of America and, and uh, maybe a link to that movie on you or the documentary on YouTube on the yeah page for the podcast so paralyzed veterans of america is uh yeah so our the national website is tva.org um and then the i haven't looked at it up for a while uh i, I think the the dive was called hero dive hero dive okay I can look it up, and you can you can send it to me after the podcast too. It's not a big deal. I favorited it on on my videos on YouTube, but I just okay. haven't. It's kind of weird to keep looking at yourself on YouTube. <laughs> I hear you, man. Um, and then I guess what before we let you go, what are your you know your socials, your website, everything like that? Um, you know, give that to everybody, and I'll also link it on the podcast page. But 
Okay, uh, so my social, I mean, my social, I'm not gonna give you my social. My, my social media um, is on Instagram. I'm at it's Razak, like it is Razak, it's Razak. Um, on Twitter, I'm on Twitter, but not as much. Um, tw on Twitter, I'm, it's, uh, it's at it's Razak FL, like Florida. And then uh, on Facebook, you could find me at Red Swan Razak, or I have my real estate pages like uh, Razak FL. Um, and my website is www.itsrezak.com. No, okay. Well, Red Zuan Rezak, I appreciate all your, all your time, man. Thank you for, for joining me on the show. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be benefited from hearing your story and, and uh, you know, all that you've overcome. And uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Right. Uh, thank you. Uh, sorry for that. Uh, and um, yeah, thanks for, for doing this podcast. I, I think it's pretty, pretty awesome of you. Uh, I'm definitely going to start subscribing once I kind of figure out how to subscribe to podcasts. I'm a little bit behind. I'm trying to, uh, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to catch up. Oh, I got you, man. Yeah, well, I'll send you a link. But yeah, thank you so much, man. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you so much to Red Zuan. I you know, appreciate your time and uh, just what a freaking amazing guy, man. Really, I'm just uh, I'm blown. Fantastic away. story, man. Great interview. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he's a he's a you know, one of the real ones, man, for sure. Just super nice guy. Um, I, I suggest anybody go out and check check him out. If you're in South Florida and you're looking for some real estate, hit my man up. He's uh, he's out here. So. Uh, we'll put his links on the, the podcast description so everybody can check that out. Um, and then I wanted to just talk about one more crazy thing I saw um, in, in, in an article a couple days ago, Sam. And it's actually that more than half of wheelchair users with spinal cord injuries have needed repairs in the last six months. No idea how they got this information or if those numbers are accurate, but that's crazy how did they even how would we gather that data i don't know because i know i've had to have i've had to have repairs done in the last six months i've had, had multiple i mean i almost i burned my whole thing up man my whole motor up a couple of a uh, few months ago and then it took there you know it was probably six months ago when that happened it took three or four well months that's all bad man especially if you're by yourself you get stranded outside your house get injured right miss school miss work miss an appointment of some kind like that could be a shit show well, yeah, and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, man, spinal cord injury, people with spinal cord injuries are, are a pretty vulnerable population. And, um, you know, we're, if we're able, unable to get up and going, and you know, I mean, especially if somebody like myself, that's a quadriplegic, like, you know, obviously a, a paraplegic can probably do a little better, able to get another wheelchair that you can at least function somewhat in. Uh, right pushing yourself around but yeah somebody maybe have a spare or something like that yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean that's that's the only thing that saved me i would have been in bed for about four months if uh i wouldn't have had a had this old crappy wheelchair i had to had stored in my basement so nightmare know, man yeah it is it really is so everybody out there you know stay try to try to keep your stuff in good condition and yeah i don't know what i think the best lesson there is really 
be proactive about maintenance to your chair, exactly. right? Even if you think nothing's wrong with it, have somebody just take a look once every couple months so that nothing bad happens to it. Well, right? that's the thing though, man. It's like with insurance, like they won't, it's not like you can just take your, I mean, I don't even know if you, like the, the amount they charge you to work on a chair if you're paying out of pocket is insane. So you go in, you know, you're going to pay, you know, $75 an hour, $100 an hour. Stuff. So nightmare. A real what a nightmare. It's crazy, man. It is really crazy. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the insurance is just decline repairs because, you know, they always try to decline it for, you know, or say, say they're not doing it at first. It's a wild, it's a wild world, man, for sure. But, uh, yeah, not a fan of that, man. I got to tell you, these folks got to pay up and they got to pay up quick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Hey Sam, I appreciate you, man. Uh, jumping on with me, making me uh, not do this solo dolo because it's always i always get awkward uh talking to myself so yeah 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 i appreciate the opportunity just to jump on here with you and chat man yeah man absolutely everybody check out uh check out our other podcast uh new episodes weekly how deep does the rabbit hole go yeah give it to them man yeah we're uh we're talking what and what's this the next episode's coming out on uh, a couple days after this one and we're going to be talking about uh, missing persons on the Appalachian Trail, trail specifically a uh, story of young Dennis Martin. Yeah, it's, it's a wild one. So everybody check that out. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next week. I don't know if Brandon will be back from Paradise yet. Uh, he said he did offer to, uh, to zoom in, but we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great week, everybody.